Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today we're going verse by verse through the book of John. So turn there in your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. chapter 19 and uh, very interesting day in history today is uh, in biblical terms the nation of Israel had been in rebellion to God for a long time they didn't learn when the northern ten tribes of Israel were conquered by the Assyrian Empire a couple hundred years later the southern two tribes Judah which is where Jerusalem was And Benjamin, those two tribes were conquered by the Babylonians. The children of Israel were carried away captive. We remember who part of those captivity were. We remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember those guys? Those are the guys that were in the fiery furnace. Then we remember Daniel as well. And Daniel saw that as he was now carried away to Babylon, Israel laid in ruins. Daniel cried out and he said, God, what will ever become of our nation? The promises that you made to all of our forefathers. And the Lord spoke to Daniel and he said, Daniel, 77 year periods of time have been determined upon your people Israel. Now, the reason God spoke to him was to encourage him that God would make good on all those promises. God makes promises, not because we're good, but because he's good. You know, a lot of people have asked that question. Well, if Israel was such a bunch of rebellious people, why didn't God abandon them? Well, because God doesn't abandon people just because we're not faithful. He's faithful to us, the Bible said, when we're not faithful to him. 77-year periods determined upon the nation of Israel. It says in the 69th year, though, Messiah will be cut off. It is interesting, he says, from the time that Artaxerxes gives the command to Nehemiah to go restore the walls around Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah, the prince, will be 69 seven-year periods of time. The Babylonian calendar was predicated upon a 360-day year. So if you do the math, 183,880 days From when Artaxerxes told Nehemiah to go restore and rebuild the wall around Jerusalem that had been torn down to the coming of the Messiah, the prince, would be in April 32 AD. And on that Palm Sunday, Jesus, as he descends into the Mount of Olives, which we know as Palm Sunday, they laid palm branches down and Jesus stopped as he looked over the city and he wept. Because he saw what was going to happen in the days to come. It was their day of salvation. Their Messiah came exactly as predicted on the exact day. Now we're going to see why this is important as we read this morning. Because we're going to find that sometimes people will stealth to do their devious work. You know, somebody said one time, if you're going to do something evil, you want to wrap it in some kind of good. 
I always remember that which Jesus is on his way now to Jerusalem to be crucified, him and his disciples. He sends two disciples in ahead of him into the town and he says, go get us lodging for the night. I like that. Well, they came back to Jesus and they said, Jesus, no one would give us a motel room. Nobody. And then they look at Jesus and said, Jesus, shall we call fire down from heaven and burn them up? Because you couldn't get a room at the Motel 6? Well, what that tells me is it tells me that, that you can lack love. If you're going to do something, do it. Well, what they did is they said, shall we call fire down from heaven as Elijah did? You know, I look at that and I go, if you're going to do something kind of weird, they try to wrap it in Christian garb. If you have your Bible again, open them to the book of John chapter 19. Jesus made his triumphant entry in the city of Jerusalem. And as Steve shared, just a few days later, the crowds were screaming, crucify him. If you play to the crowd, you're always going to be disappointed. We find this all the way through the Bible, that people are fickle. God isn't. God is standard. God is stable. You can go to him. He doesn't have moods as we do. Aren't you glad? You go to God, say, God, I got a problem this morning. And God goes, I don't want to hear it. I got problems in Iraq. I don't want to hear about your problem. No, God doesn't do that. God doesn't have moods. And, and I'm glad because oftentimes we know our moods can dictate our attitude towards others. But God doesn't do that. God's always the same. And I like that about God. One thing you find in God is uniformity. We talked about this before, the, the importance of truth that doesn't waver. And we talked about this in the past few weeks about relativism. Relativism has replaced truth in our culture. And so we understand then without truth, there is no absolutes. If there's no absolutes, there are no laws. And the Bible says in the last days, people are going to be doing what's right in their own eyes. Why is that? Because truth is gone. Well, that's why it's important that, as Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So we know then how we approach the Father. It isn't through good works. It isn't through being religious. It isn't through selling flowers in airports. It is simply by God's truth. We come to Jesus. Jesus is the one that justifies us. And by the way, if God isn't justifying you today, who is? What's making you right? You know, there's a lot of things in our lives we realize are wrong. But what fixes that? Well, we have a daddy in heaven that fixes those things. You know, if you don't have your father in heaven fixing things for you, who does? You know, it's one of the great things that some of you dads, you be a dad in your family that fixes things. I shared this many, many times. It's almost a broken record with me. But I can't really wrap my head around how our society has moved away from the love of a father. When you go back to the early 60s, you had My Three Sons and Father Knows Best and The Andy Griffith Show and all those that always made the dad always have the right answer. But if you'll notice the sitcoms of today... The dad is the stupidest person in the room. The nine-year-old smart aleck kid knows more than his father does. Well, why is that? Because I believe the devil wants to take away the father image from a generation. You have a father in heaven that loves you, that has the right answers. And when we understand that, this is why Paul says we go to him, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We crawl up in his lap and say, Daddy, I like that. 
And I like a dad that knows how to fix things. You know, you dads, be a dad that knows how to fix things. Maybe you don't know how to fix a transistor radio, but you know what, honey, we'll figure it out and we'll get it taken care of. You always extend to them the grace and the love that you would expect to get from your father in heaven. Well, as we realize Jesus has been turned over to the Roman government, we remember Pilate walked out and says, I find no fault in him. We talked a little bit about this last week, about what a republic is. We're a republic. We, we have a set of laws. It isn't, it isn't a democracy. And let me explain what that is. Where majority rules. Well, whatever the majority wants is the rules of the law. That's not what it is. Because you can have a mob do that. So a, a, a republic is based upon laws. And in our country, our forefathers realized the importance of the Bible for that standard in which a republic must stand. There's certain ingredients you have to have for a culture to survive. And our forefathers knew that. And that's why it was based upon Judeo-Christian principles. Now, that's important. Now, we remember... Pilate goes out and says, I find no fault in him. In fact, the Bible says he tried many times to release Jesus because he couldn't find any crime that he'd committed. So under Roman law, under their republic, he had violated no laws. Pilate should have let him go. But the people cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And so rather than listening to the law, he listened to the mob And Jesus was crucified. Well, we find this now. He's led away. And now we find Jesus on the cross. We remember last week, we talked about how his garment was seamless and that the soldiers gambled for it. Why would they do, why would they gamble for a poor man's garment? Well, it's interesting. People in those days talk just like they do today. We remember the woman who had the issue of blood. And she said, if I could only touch the hem of his garment, I would be healed. There was many people that believe in those days that because Jesus' outer garment could have healing powers, then it might be worth something. And so the Bible says they gambled for his outer garment. This is exactly what Psalms 22 says would happen, that they gambled away my vesture, my outer garment. Well, we find here now, In verse 25, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Caiaphas, Colopius, and Mary Magdalene. We have three Marys there at the cross. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, and that's how John always referenced himself in the book of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Really important. Jesus loved all the disciples. It's just that John recognized it. And I think that's really important. Always recognize God's love for you. I always like to find myself in the Bible. Do I recognize God's love for me? Can I say, I'm a child of God whom Jesus loves? That's who you are too. And he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. So John then takes care of Mary. Jesus is turning over that care for his mother to John. The question would arise immediately, why didn't 
Jesus' other brothers take care of her? Well, first of all, we know Joseph most likely was dead. The second was the other brothers of Jesus at this time didn't believe in who Jesus was. And we find the last is sometimes friends of our, in, in the body of Christ are closer than our own relatives. Isn't that true? You know, somebody said one time, your relatives, you, you know, your friends you pick. Relatives, you get what you get. <laughs> well, sometimes that can be a real blessing and sometimes that can be a real headache. But you know, the Bible tells us that John turned uh, to him to take care of his mother. Now, others believe that it was because of the distance. Uh, in those days, just to travel 30, 40 miles was several days journey. And so being that maybe a lot of his brothers were up in, in northern Israel, up by the Sea of Galilee, this is maybe another reason why John uh, was picked by Jesus to take care of his mother. And so it says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now a vessel of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled the sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. And so when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The other gospels tell us Jesus made seven utterances from the cross. We find basically two of them here recorded for us in the book of John. And the reason why I believe this is important is this. You know, it's funny. The Bible says Jesus said even a cup of cold water in his name bears a reward. And here Jesus is dying on the cross. Instead of giving him water when he said, I thirst, they gave him sour wine. And at that point, Jesus said, it is finished. Telestai. Now the word telestai or it is finished is what an artist would say when they finished a painting. When you would finally finish your project or you're building a house and it's all done and here's the key, telestai, it's done. It's finished. This is extremely important because this displaces false teaching. And false teaching, friends, is rampant in our society today. Why is that? Because they've left the Bible out. You find most churches today won't even crack a Bible, let alone go into any kind of in-depth study of it. This is why we know what truth is, because God's word is truth. You leave the Bible out of sermons, you will not have truth. You'll have an opinion, you'll have maybe an idea, but you won't have God's truth. And that's why it's important you know the Bible. I've shared this so many times. I went to a pastor's conference one time, and somebody, the pastor said, when you teach, teach only the Bible. Somebody put their hand up and said, well, what else would you teach? He said a lot of junk. It's true. Because we don't know the Bible. This is what the problem is today. You know, they say that 60% or 70% of America believes in some way they're a Christian. Yet less than 5% believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. We have a real disconnect here. In other words, I'm claiming to be something to a book that I may not even believe in. There are churches today that say, well, all you need to do is talk about the resurrection, abandon everything else in the Bible. Friends, that is false teaching, plain, pure, and simple. There's no way around it because they're rebuking what Jesus said. We remember when Satan came to Jesus after he had fasted on the mountain for 40 days. 
And Jesus told Satan when he was tempted, we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If any minister is saying, no, you don't need to go into the Bible. All you need to do is talk about the resurrection. Extremely dangerous teaching. Why is that? Because it's the word of God. It's the Bible. Truth is what we base our life upon. And friends, I've had people come to me and they say, well, you mean to tell me, Mr. Minister? You base your life upon everything that the Bible says? And I said, well, by the very nature of your statement to me, by the very nature of your question, do you base your life upon everything the Bible said? You must base your life on something. What do you base your life on? If you're not basing it upon something, you're going to base it on something else. Got to know what the Bible says. It's going to tell you what the truth is. And so, he said, it is finished. It's done. Paid in full. There's teaching around today that says, well, now, after Jesus died, he went down into hell and suffered in hell down there for three days. False teaching again. We don't find that. What does the Bible say Jesus did when he died? The Bible says he went to a place called Abraham's bosom. He preached to those in captivity and let him free. Why is that? Remember, Jesus gave a story, not a parable. Never used proper names in a parable ever. Doesn't say it was a parable. Other times the Bible will say, and Jesus spoke a parable unto them. And the idea of a parable was to take something grand of a spiritual nature and break it down so that they would understand it. In other words, put it in simple, understandable terms for people that had no religious understanding whatsoever. I think today there's probably a great need for parables again. Because we live in basically a post-Christian era where people don't even understand what the Bible is. But here's why that's important. Because we need to, again, base our belief upon what the Word of God says. Now, the Bible tells us that when Jesus died, he went and preached to those in captivity. Why? All those that died in faith in the Old Testament, King David, Samuel, Elisha, not Elijah. Elijah was taken in a whirlwind like a fiery chariot. Elijah, all those people died in faith. And just the regular people who love God died in faith. The Bible tells us the blood of bulls and goats and sheep would only cover the sin. It would never remove it. And we know to stand before a holy, righteous God, we have to have our sin completely removed. Now, covering your sin is like taking a sheet and putting it over this little flower pot up here. You covered it. You can't really tell what it was. You can't tell what it is, but it's covered. But when Jesus died on the cross, he completely removed it. The Bible says he went and preached to those in a place called Abraham's bosom, in captivity, waiting to be taken to heaven. Now, the Bible says those that die outside of faith, those that are not Christians, they are awaiting what's called the great white throne judgment at the end of the millennial reign of Christ. And people ask the question, why then? Why aren't you judged immediately when you die? Well, that's simple, friends. When we die, that doesn't stop what we've done, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. You know, you think about the people that started cults. Maybe there was only 25, 30 people when they first started. Now there might be millions. Imagine the judgment on that person that started that lie. Think about the people that perpetrate evolution as some kind of a fact when they know absolutely it's a myth. Now, again, the Bible tells us back 
in Genesis. Everything reproduced after its own kind. That after its own kind, we didn't know what after its own kind was until about 40 years ago when we figured out what DNA is. DNA is what keeps dogs being dogs. Oh, you might have big dogs and little dogs, but a dog is a dog. You'll find mutations within species. You'll have big horses, small horses. And I know a horse is a horse, of course, of course. But we have big dogs, little dogs, big horses, little horses. You'll always find mutations in a particular species, but you'll never find transmutations. What's a transmutation? That's where a dog morphs into a cat. Or that's where a cat morphs into a rat or something else. Now, people say, well, that's part of the evolutionary process. Ah, but there's a real problem with that. There are no fossil records for transmutation. There are records for mutations. We understand that. But there are no transmutations. Why is that? They don't exist. Because everything reproduced after its own kind. So you have then those that... Uh, uh, and by the way, you have no living transitional life forms either. In other words, no fossil records and no living records. So you see people going around and saying, oh, yeah, that guy that over there. Yeah, he's, he's a monkey. He's trading up right now. Oh, there's a dog. Yeah, it's kind of looking more like a cat every day. It's, it's trading. Doesn't happen. Everything the Bible says reproduces after its own kind. We have fact for what we believe. Now, again, think of the people that perpetrate that lie. There's a judgment for them. And that judgment is not till all things come to fruition. And again, just because a person die doesn't end the lie or the evil that they started in their life. That's why I believe it's so important for a person that in they receive Christ as their Savior, God lays an ax to the root of their past that you won't be judged for what you did wrong, nor the repercussions of what we did. You think about sometimes the repercussions of what we've done are far worse than the initial sin. That's why we need to be forgiven. And that's why Jesus said, it is finished, paid in full, done deal. And so the Bible says he led captivity captive. And uh, this paradise side of Abraham's bosom has been closed down. Jesus paid it all. That's why Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So important. Therefore, because it was preparation day and bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Now, again, you say, well, what's that all about? Well, when, in, when a person is crucified, they have to push up to open up their lung cavity so they can breathe. By breaking their legs, they suffocate quickly. And they say, well, we don't want anybody hanging on the cross uh, out on preparation day, so we want them taken down. They ask if they would break their legs so that they could be taken down, they would be dead, and they could be buried. What's wrong with that? Well, a couple of things. You know, the Pharisees were people who studied the book but didn't know the author. Pretty important. 
And when you stop to think about in Psalms 34, 20, it says not one bone of Jesus's body would be broken. I believe the Pharisees knew that that was a prophecy concerning Messiah. And that's why they asked to have the bones broken, not just necessarily because of, 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 of the Sabbath but because they wanted to violate what the word of God said, the prophecies who Jesus is. You look at all the prophecies in the Old Testament, what Messiah would be when he would come. Only Jesus could fulfill that. Only Jesus. Thank you for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com slash it's time. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thank you for listening and tune in next time for It's Time.